0: I think of those areas or qualities the Buddha recommended as the foundation out of which or on which we can build this quality of metta loving-kindness. There were three of those qualities that really stood out for me and I think which encompassed the rest. That is being straightforward, being gentle, not being proud. In the course of our lives, we sometimes meet people who seem to radiate a great deal of love and kindness and love and care, who seem to regard the whole world with this feeling. Maybe well-known people like the Dalai Lama, who just seems to radiate kindness and compassion. Maybe different teachers that we've met over the years, or maybe very ordinary people in our lives who somehow seem to have this very great capacity for love. When you're with someone like the Dalai Lama, when he's speaking to you, it's as if for him, In that moment, you are the most important person in the world. It's wonderful to feel that kind of attention, wholeheartedness of attention. There's a story which illustrates this capacity, a story about him, uh, which Sharon uh, has mentioned. She was at a conference in, I think it was Arizona, with the Dalai Lama and... Some big conference at a big hotel, and on the last day of the conference, uh, as everyone was leaving, uh, His Holiness had requested the hotel management to call the entire staff of the hotel down to the lobby, and before he left, he greeted every single person, you know, and thanking them for being there. And it was such an amazing gesture of universal goodwill. One of our teachers who we speak about often, a woman who died some years ago, named as Deepa Ma, also had this amazing capacity for love, for unconditional love. And in that way, she was this tremendous inspiration to us to see what was actually possible to develop with Deepama, it was as if she was always blessing. Whoever she met, in whatever circumstance she was in, it's as if her whole way of being <coughs> was expressing the blessing, be happy. <coughs> and it was actually worth making the trip to Calcutta to go up to her rooms to have her place her hands on your head with that kind of blessing. That's how powerful it was. It's a long trip. (laughs) But the intensity of the connection because of her capacity for unconditional love was so powerful and such a lesson for us in what is possible. With both His Holiness the Dalai Lama or Deepama or others like this, What's striking is this feeling of love is not about who we are or the, posi- the position we're in or the kind of work we do or how rich we are or anything. It has nothing to do with any of that. That feeling of love is there simply because we're fellow living beings. So it's unconditional in that way, and that's what makes it so strong, so transforming. This very special quality is the quality of metta. Metta, as we've said, is the Pali word for loving-kindness or friendliness. It's the basic generosity of the heart. It simply wishes well for all beings. It's the simple wish may all beings be happy. And although there's great benefit to us from this feeling, and we can actually develop it in ourselves, metta itself does not seek any self benefit. And that's precisely its purity. We don't extend or express this generosity of the heart of metta with an expectation of getting something back. It's a simple wish. Be happy. May all beings be happy. And it's precisely because metta is not dependent on how another person is. It's not dependent on external conditions. Because it's not dependent in this way, it doesn't easily change. It's not such a changeable emotion within us, once we have really connected with it, because it's simply coming from our own intention of goodwill. What gives meta this very powerfully expansive quality is that in the end, it does not make any distinction between beings. Unlike most of our other feelings, it's not so much related to beings that we're close to. Because we may be very close to one person, or two people, or ten people, or 100. Maybe we have a hundred. Maybe we have a big network of loving friends. But I don't think we feel close to everyone in the world. It's not within the capacity of that feeling. And yet with this intention of goodwill, this expression of goodwill, it can include... Beings in the world. It's not limited. And for this reason, the Buddha called this feeling of metta boundless or illimitable. There are very few feelings that have that capacity. There's a great purity and joy that comes as this feeling of goodwill and good-wishing becomes strong in us because it's not mixed with anything unwholesome. And so there's a pure kind of joy and delight that arises. I'd like to read a poem by James Wright. It's not particularly a Buddhist poem. But I think it very much expresses the joy of the feeling of love, this kind of love, of loving kindness. The name of the poem is A Blessing, A Blessing by James Wright. Just off the highway to Rochester, Minnesota, twilight bounds softly forth on the grass, and the eyes of those two Indian ponies darken with kindness. They have come gladly out of the willows to welcome my friend and me. We step over the barbed wire into the pasture where they have been grazing all day alone. They ripple tensely. They can hardly contain their happiness that we have come. They bow shyly as wet swans. They love each other. There is no loveliness like theirs. At home once more they begin munching the young tufts of spring in the darkness. I'd like to hold the slenderer one in my arms, for she has walked over to me and nuzzled my left hand. She is black and white, her mane falls wild on her forehead, and the light breeze moves me to caress her long ear that is delicate as the skin over a girl's wrist. Suddenly, I realize that if I stepped out of my body, I would break into blossom. And so, when I read that, it was just so evocative. Myth, the joy of loving feeling. If I stepped out of my body, I would break into blossom. Nice thought. Feelings of goodwill, of kindness, of generosity, soften us. Our minds become more pliable, more relaxed. And because of this softening, our hearts and minds become less judgmental, less reactive. We're not so quick in our reactive judgments. We become more caring and more patient with difficulties and obstacles. As we're less reactive, we see more clearly about our situation. We see more clearly what is skillful, what is unskillful in our lives. And when we see more clearly, when the mind is not jumping in with our own opinions and views and judgments and reactions, when things have softened, relaxed, open, we actually can bring greater discriminating wisdom to bear. We can assess what is skillful, what is unskillful. And so in this way, metta, or love, loving feeling, actually becomes the ground for wisdom, And as we bring greater wisdom to our lives and situations, we make wiser choices. We're not so driven by habit patterns. As we make wiser choices, we become happier. As we become happier, we feel more love, more metta. As we feel more love, more metta, our minds are more spacious. We see more clearly. So it's just this spiral upwards of happiness, Thich Han expressed this beautifully. He said, Buddhism is a clever way to enjoy life. <laughs> Happiness is available. Please help yourselves to it. <laughs> As metta becomes stronger, this feeling of goodwill, and we become less reactive, less judgmental, we find ourselves more tolerant, more tolerant of ourselves, more tolerant of others. We start to live gradually in a place of greater benevolence, greater lightheartedness, greater humor. We don't take ourselves quite so seriously. We were teaching at... uh, retreat center in Santa Fe, just outside Santa Fe, and there was an inscription of a couple of lines of uh, the poet W.H. Auden. It was on a little plaque outside. And quoting Auden, it said, love your crooked neighbor with all your crooked heart. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, that's a wonderful motto for a meta course. can we take ourselves lightly you know, and take others lightly? Sometimes people have notions of themselves of not being very loving. Oh, I'm not a really loving person. You know, and they kind of have a self-evaluation in that way. Or maybe there's an expectation You know, that if we really were loving or we really could do this practice well, we'd be carried off on waves of bliss, ecstatic bliss. And then when that doesn't happen, you know, kind of disappointment or discouragement. All of this is a tremendous misinterpretation, I think, of what metta and genuine loving-kindness is about. I see it much more not as some particular feeling state, certainly not necessarily some ecstatic state, but much more the very down-to-earth experience we all have of responsiveness to other people and situations. And in the course of our lives, as we come into contact with people in a wide range of situations, I think most of us are quite loving in our responses. That it comes naturally and spontaneously, and it's no big firework display. And so we may well overlook it and have all kinds of erroneous self-images. you see this quality of metta, and it's almost more a quality than a feeling, a quality of openness of heart that simply lets people in. And as we do that, there is a natural and spontaneous response. So the question that I'd like to explore further this evening, how can we further develop and strengthen this quality of metta, this quality of loving-kindness within ourselves. The Buddha's extraordinary gift in teaching was his skill in bringing people from just where they were and are to the highest stages of liberation. And in his teachings about metta, he does exactly the same thing. He lays it out so clearly, starting where we are, building on that, creating the foundation, preparing the ground, out of which this quality of metta really grows and flourishes. The very first lines of the metta sutta, and sutta means discourse, So the metta-sutta is the discourse the Buddha gave on the development of loving-kindness. The very first lines of this sutta point us very clearly in the direction of what we need to practice and develop and examine and investigate. He said, In order to attain the highest state of peace, One should be able or capable, upright, straightforward, easy to speak to, gentle, and not proud. So he's pointing to us in very obvious ways those areas in our lives, in our relationships, in our own character, personalities, that we need to attend to It's not enough to think that metta or loving-kindness is a good idea. We actually need to see how we're relating in our lives, how we're expressing it. Sometimes with lists, if they're too long, it's really hard to remember. For years, I couldn't remember the Eightfold Path. And I only actually got it when I needed to give a talk on it. (laughs) And then over the years, fine oh yeah, everything leads to the next, and it all began to make sense. So I'd like to condense this list a little bit, uh, because you might have already forgotten a few. I think of those areas or qualities the Buddha recommended as the foundation out of which, or on which, we can build this quality of metta, love loving-kindness. There were three of those qualities that really stood out for me, and I think it, which encompassed the rest. That is, being straightforward, being gentle, not being proud. It's so obvious when we just think about it, that of course, if we don't have these qualities, metta will be impossible. will be in a fortress of self-centeredness. A straightforward... It means a commitment to basic honesty, basic truthfulness and simplicity. Speaking and acting without deception and without ulterior motives... I think it's worth looking very carefully in our lives, in the very specifics of our actions, of the way we speak with people, to really look at this, because it's surprisingly difficult to be genuinely and simply straightforward. There are so many ways in which our minds get a little devious. And again, even this can be held lightly, but we want to see it. You know, ways we exaggerate things. At the end of one retreat, one long three-month retreat, you know, when people are talking, we have what we call integration week at the end. People start relating to each other. So in one of the groups, group discussions, one guy shared with the group that whenever he was talking with others about his practice, about his meditation, how long you said, and all that, he said he found himself always eating 15 minutes. (laughs) I mean, it's not really a big thing. But it was just so resonant with what our minds do, of just the shading or this or that. Or some ways we're not straightforward, you know, because for some psychological reason we feel we need to protect ourselves. There's one other. It's a it's a wonderful yogi story. Uh, Again, it was during a three month course, and there was a yogi who was here for quite a while, and and most of you probably know by now. Or, you know, outside of the kitchen, there are these big walk-ins. Refrigerator and freezer. So it was late at night, and there was a staff person who went into the, the walk-in refrigerator, got and they saw this yogi here with his hand in the figs. <laughs> <laughs> and the staff person was very nice, you know, and said, can I help you? And the yogi just, I mean, it's kind of the first reaction, was, oh, I'm looking for the maintenance department. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the reason I like this story so much is that it resonates so deeply <laughs> <laughs> with what I can see my mind doing. <laughs> you know, oh, caught something, I better <laughs> protect myself here a little bit. Now, how refreshing it, it is when we're with somebody who is just simple, straightforward, open, honest, truthful. You know, it's such a relief and it's such a delight to be with people like that. And so we can practice it. You know, we can look at those areas where we're not and remind ourselves. Reminding ourselves that this is a quality that allows metta to grow. They're not unrelated. The second quality that the Buddha pointed out in this sutta was his emphasis on Being gentle. Gentle in our actions, gentle in our speech. And it's obvious if we are caught in the habit patterns of harsh speech or aggressive or angry speech, it's the very opposite of the feelings of metta. as a furtherance of exploring what gentle, gentle behavior might mean, how we relate to other people. Pay attention whether in different situations we're really operating from a place of inclusion or exclusion. And it could be just sitting around a table. You know, with a group of people. What's our basic stance in that moment? Can we practice that quality of gentleness, of openness, of inclusion? Because that's where the metta expresses itself. Last of the qualities, you know, in this little list that the Buddha pointed to, being straightforward, being gentle, being humble, humility, not being proud. Being conceited or proud, you know, in an unskillful sense, is really the death knell to metta. Because we're not letting anybody else in. But sometimes people misinterpret humility, and they think of it perhaps as meekness or even sometimes self-abasement. You know, and somehow, yes, if I'm really humble, I'll just be very withdrawn and inward. And that's not what humility is about at all. There's a writer by the name of Wei Wu Wei, who actually was an Englishman living in Hong Kong, who had tremendous experience and insight the whole kind of Buddhist, Taoist way of understanding things. His books are wonderful little jewels of insight. In one of them, he described humility. He said, true humility is the absence of anyone to be proud. So it's not a stance. We don't, we don't take a stance on being humble, because in a way that's just That's just another kind of false pride. Rather, we rest simply in that place of openness, of realizing that there's a tremendous amount we don't know about ourselves, about other people, about the world. True humility is the absence of anyone to be proud So in that absence of self-centeredness, we really rest in this place of openness, this place of respect. We're much more receptive then to other people's points of view. It actually becomes possible to learn from each other. The Dalai Lama, again, is a wonderful embodiment of this quality of respect. We were at a Buddhist-Christian conference at Gethsemane Abbey in Kentucky, where Thomas Merton lived. And this was a meeting of you know, many different traditions. And to see how, how his holiness related, when he was talking about his own understanding, which of course is very profound... But addressing the group, he said, this way of understanding is good for me. Your way may be good for you. And it's just a, a genuine gesture of respect, of lack of pride, lack of conceit, lack of self-centeredness. And because that quality is so strong, the feeling of metta that comes, the feeling of kindness is so palpable. So we can practice this in ourselves. We can really watch in our lives, in our relationships. So we want to notice those times when we're not being straightforward, when we're not being gentle, inclusive. Inclusive. we are being proud or self-centered. These these times will come, won't they? (laughs) So we want to hold them too in the space of metta. You know, to realize, oh yeah, this is here too. But to actually bring some awareness to them. So instead of just strengthening those qualities of seeing, yeah, these block, these dampen the expression of goodwill kindness? Can I practice letting go? It's interesting, in those moments, even if it's just for a few moments, to see if we can let down the defenses, let down the protection, loosen the contraction of our heart, relax the heart. Into a place of greater openness, greater connection. So, this is the first step that the Buddha pointed out. These are the qualities, this is the ground, being straightforward, being gentle, having a true humility. This is the ground out of which metta grows. He then went on to point out that from this place of openness, we can work even more specifically in ways that generate the quality and feeling of loving-kindness. And that is by focusing on the good qualities in people. This came up this morning somewhat in the questions. We are all a package of qualities. Now, Each one of us is a mix of skillful states and unskillful states and noble qualities and ignoble qualities. So we're all a package. Our tendency often is to focus on what's wrong. And that kicks in our judgmental mind very easily. The Buddha is suggesting if we want to develop metta, instead of focusing on what's wrong in ourselves or others, by focusing on what's good in ourselves and others. Because when we focus on what's good, then quite naturally loving feeling happens. And it doesn't mean that we ignore the rest. It doesn't mean that we don't see the whole picture. Because that would be a kind of delusion. And be easy to fall into a state of sentimentality where we're really relating from a place of fantasy rather than the place of truth. So it's not that we don't see. We do see. But we're choosing to focus. We're choosing to emphasize those qualities which are good in ourselves, in other people. almost like we have a remote control in our minds. And when we're, when we're off on watching the ill will channel <laughs> or the judgmental channel, and there seem to be a lot of them, <laughs> but we can just kind of click, you know, click, oh yeah, let's Let's focus on the good qualities of people. And all all of a sudden, we're on the meta-channel. And we actually have this ability within ourselves to change channels. Unfortunately, we get mesmerized. But with some awareness and with some practice in this, we see we can extricate ourselves. Something very beautiful begins to happen when we click onto the metta channel, which comes by focusing on the good qualities in people. And that is, we become increasingly open to feelings of gratitude. And the Buddha talked of gratitude as being one of the most beautiful and rare qualities in human beings. And it struck me that he pointed out that it's rare. Because one would think that gratitude comes easily. But when we look in our own lives, I think we can see very often, we begin to take the good that others have done for us, or the ways people have benefited us, begin to take it for granted, or forget. You know, And not really let it sink in. that yes, These people have done a lot of good things for me. It may be family or friends or teachers or whoever. It may be gratitude for life. Gratitude to the world. For the blessings in our lives. In some traditions there's an emphasis on cultivating gratitude towards, one, towards one's enemies. So it's not e- even limited to those who have actually done tangible good for us. Because it's spoken of as how our enemies teach us patience. It is actually possible to transform that situation into something beneficial for us. We learn, we grow, we get strengthened if we hold it in the right way. There was one example of a situation in one Buddhist text. It posed the question, given the choice between coming down to breakfast and finding a check, this is updating the language a bit, but (laughs) finding a check for $10 million or finding this really disagreeable person who's pointing out all your worst faults, which is preferable? Well, when I read that, (laughs) it definitely took a moment. (laughs) Of course, it went on to say that, by far, it would be preferable to have somebody there who was accurately pointing out one's shortcomings than the check for 10 million. Why? Because it's out of that. If we are really committed to a process of opening, of purification, of wisdom, we need to see. And at a certain point, we actually delight in seeing where the shortcomings are. And so there can be this gratitude, very deep gratitude, even for people in that situation, you know, who normally we might find difficult or be irritated with. From focusing on the good in others, in its widest range, we open to feelings of gratitude. From feelings of gratitude, we can then begin to bring into our metta practice A very powerful component, and that is the quality of forgiveness. Because we've all been hurt in many different ways. But if we hold on, and even worse than holding on, is justifying the holding on. If we're caught in that holding on, to the anger or resentment or hatred. Who is suffering? It's as if we're holding on to a hot burning coal. It's like, well, I'm not gonna let go. Whose hand is burning? The practice of forgiveness, and it may be quick, and it may be a gradual process. Some things, for whatever reason, are hard to let go of so quickly. But can that be the direction we're going in? Understanding the great value in letting go of the resentment or anger or hatred we may feel. And so in the metta practice, a very simple thing to do, just to be pointing us in the right direction, would be at the beginning... To ask for and extend forgiveness. If I have hurt or harmed or offended anyone in my thoughts, in words, or in actions, I ask forgiveness. And I freely forgive anyone who may have hurt or offended me. Just to practice that and open to it as much as possible. As we do, and as the meta grows, we find our ability to do that increases. I think the whole of the metta sutta expresses this feeling of love, of gratitude, of forgiveness in a very all-encompassing way. So I'd just like to read a few lines of the Metta-sutta itself, which are the Buddha's words. You know, as he's describing this quality and this practice that we're doing. May all living things be happy and at their ease May they be joyous and live in safety. These are the wishes we cultivate. May all beings, whether weak or strong, omitting none, small or great, visible or invisible, near or far away, may all be happy and at their ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none by anger or ill will wish harm to another. Even as a mother watches over and protects her only child, so with a boundless mind should one cherish all living beings, radiating friendliness over the entire world, above, below, and all around, without limit. So let one cultivate a boundless goodwill toward the entire world, free from inward free from ill-will or enmity. Whether standing, walking, sitting, or lying down, as long as one is awake, one should be resolved on this mindfulness. This is called a sublime abiding here and now. So we practice remembering we practice coming back to this place of simply wishing well to all beings. It's not that we sometimes don't get angry or irritated or annoyed or all the things in our mind, but it's coming back to our basic intention In one of his books, the Dalai Lama said, sometimes I do get angry, but in the depths of my heart, I don't hold a grudge against anyone. I thought it was just a very simple statement of recognizing "Yeah, we have different reactions and judgments. But can we find that place in the depth of our heart where we really are connected to that feeling of wishing well? So this brings us, then, to how do we develop this systematically? And this, of course, is the meditation practice that we're doing. The strengthening of the mind through the repetition of the phrases, the metaphrases. What we're doing, as you see, is collecting the scattered mind. We're gathering the attention. Because even though we may tremendously value this intention of goodwill and loving-kindness, the mind is very fickle. You know. And we do a phrase or two, and then it's off someplace or other, and we forget. And so the practice is coming back again and again. It's very helpful to understand that in addition to being the development of metta, This is also a concentration practice. So at those times when it feels mechanical, when there doesn't seem to be any particular feeling associated with it, if there is the commitment to simply coming back to the simplicity of the phrase, as Sharon has said, simply beginning again, something very great is being accomplished. We're, We're... training the mind in concentration, in one-pointedness, which will then give strength and stability to the feelings of metta when they do come. Our effort here is simply to connect with the meaning of the phrase, and just one phrase at a time. Because if you try to hold... As your intention getting through four phrases, it's too much. Because somewhere around two and a half, the mind is going to be off. And so the intention has to be very delimited. Okay, this phrase, may you live in safety. That's all. Just the intention to connect with the phrase, Allow the flavor of the meaning to emerge. What does it mean to live in safety? Free from harm, free from danger, outer dangers, inner dangers. May you live in safety and connecting with the person, whether it's yourself or the benefactor. Just one phrase. Take a breath. And another phrase, may you have mental happiness. Connecting again with the meaning, allowing the flavor to emerge from what you're wishing. One phrase at a time. In that way, the practice builds. In the beginning, we do get distracted a lot. That's common. But as we keep practicing with patience, slowly there is a transformation that takes place. This process is very universal. There was a French Catholic saint. I don't really know when he lived. I think fairly recently, in the last couple hundred years, I think. His name was Saint Francis de Sales. And he wrote, I guess he was a spiritual advisor to, I don't know a lot about Catholic sainthood. But some of his writings was really exactly the same as what we're doing here. So I'll just read one thing that he wrote, which is so to the point and, and shows the universality of the training. So this is him talking to his, I don't know what the right word is, disciples or students. He said, if the heart wanders or is distracted bring it back to the point quite gently. And even if you did nothing in the whole of your hour, but bring your heart back, even though it went away every time you brought it back, your hour would be very well employed. Does it sound familiar? (laughs) And even if you did nothing in the whole of your hour, but bring your heart back, though it went away every time you brought it back, your hour would be very well employed. So the willingness to do this, the commitment, the energy to do this, to keep bringing the heart back to just one phrase, reconnecting with our intention, our basic intention of goodwill, takes a tremendous amount of patience. And the Buddha spoke often of the great power of patience. He called patience the highest devotion. It's the quality of forbearance, of constancy in the face of difficulty. How many times today did things feel really flat you know, or dry or uninspired? They do. This is part of training. This is part of spiritual practice. Thomas Mertens, who understood this very well, he said, Prayer and love are learned in the hour when prayer becomes impossible and the heart has turned to stone. That's when prayer and love are learned. It's, it's the patience, the constancy to go through these states, the inevitable experiences we all have. I'd like to read to you one description of the great magnitude of patience and the amazing things that can be accomplished when that quality is strong. This was just a piece uh, from a book I read uh, called Fugitive Pieces by Anne Michaels. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful book. And this was just one paragraph that kind of jumped out at me. She was talking about uh, the surface of the planet, how continents were formed. She said, these rocks later helped prove that Antarctica had been tectonically torn from an immense continent from which Australia, India, Africa, Madagascar, and South America fractured, crumbled, strayed. India smashed into Asia, the crumpled point of collision becoming the Himalayas, all of which the earth achieved with staggering patience a few centimeters a year. Now that's patience. (laughs) The Himalayas... Well, fortunately, we are operating on human time rather than geological time. But it is the same quality of patience that allows for this gradual transformation of our minds, of our hearts, of our lives in the world. We actually can develop to a greater and greater extent, this feeling, this quality of metta, so that our home in the world becomes the space of goodwill, of wishing well, of blessing. I'd like to close with just a story told about the Zen master Ryokan. Ryokan lived in the 18th century as a hermit, monk, poet. He lived often way up in the mountains in a little hut. He was a wonderful poet. There's books of his poetry, and they're so... Expressive of the whole human condition, as the Taoists say, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. But one quality that comes through all of his writing and his poetry, his way of being, is the quality of the joy of love. And so this comes from a book. It's a book about the life of Khan. It's called The Great Fool. And so it's somebody from Ryokan's time writing about him. When the Zen master went out, children would follow him. Sometimes they would shout at him loudly, and the master, Ryokan, would shout back in surprise, throwing up his hands, reeling backwards, and almost losing his balance. Whenever the children found the master, they were always ready to do this. Ordinary people frowned on this behavior. My late father once questioned Ryokan about it. The master laughed and told him, when the children surprise me in this way, it makes them happy. When the children are happy, it makes me happy. The children are happy, and I'm happy too. Everyone is happy together, and so I do it all the time. (laughs) There's no truer happiness than this. Nevertheless, at times, Ryokan did become exhausted and would have to make his escape. The children liked to circle around him, clapping their hands and laughing with delight. When the teacher tired, he lied down and pretended to be dead. (laughs) (laughs) Then when the children were no longer hemming him in, he slowly got up and walked away. (laughs) Let's sit for a couple of minutes.